0: The uh, Senate Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. I want to thank uh, our leadership of our committee for entrusting to Senator Haggerty and myself the honor of of chairing and ranking on this particular nominations hearings. We want to thank all of our nominees. We are going to defer to Senator Cornyn, who wants to do an introduction.
1: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. It's great to be uh, with you and colleagues. here for a very important introduction of Karin Patman, nominated to serve as the ambassador to the Republic of Iceland. I've known Karin longer than either one of us would care to admit. Our paths first crossed in Bear County, Texas, my hometown, San Antonio, when I was a baby district judge, uh, pretty new to the bench, and Karen was a young lawyer. She'd just finished law school at the University of Texas and was starting At the starting line of what would be a long and distinguished career as a litigator, a trial lawyer. Karin spent three decades practicing with international law firm Bracewell and became the first woman elected to the firm's seven-member management committee. After retiring from Bracewell in 2016, Karin was appointed to serve as the chair of the board of the Metropolitan Transit Authority of Houston uh, or Harris County, as we know it, called METRO. Houston is the fourth largest city in the country, and Harris County is the third largest county. Metro has a $1.3 billion budget, 4,100 employees, and it covers 1,300 square miles. That's a long way of saying that chairing Metro is no easy task. It requires diplomatic skills and an ability to bring competing constituencies together. Fortunately, Karin has mastered those skills. She turned them into an art form as the chair of Metro. And should the Senate confirm her for this position, I know she will use those skills well and those experiences well to serve our country and fight for our interests abroad. In just a moment, you'll hear directly from Karen about her career, civic involvement, and her deep love for America. You'll see the passion, the skill, and the sound judgment that has guided her throughout her career. And I hope you'll reach the same conclusion that I have, that Karin Patman will be an outstanding ambassador. For nearly four decades, I've had the, uh, I guess I disclosed it. Uh, for, nearly, for nearly four decades, I've had the pleasure of knowing Karin, as well as her husband, Jim, who's here with us today. And I have full confidence in her ability to serve the American people as the ambassador to Iceland. So thank you again, uh, Chairman Cardin and Ranking Member Haggerty. Uh, for giving me the opportunity to make this introduction today, and thank you to all of my colleagues, Senator Kane. I saw Senator Coons earlier, for considering this nominee. I look forward to supporting it, and I hope you, this nomination, and I hope you will too. Thanks so much.
0: Well, Senator Cornyn, we appreciate you taking the time uh, to, to make these introductions. I know Senator Coons had the pleasure of uh, being with the nominee on a plane flight to Washington, I was told. so. I don't know that was strategic planning that you decided to check his flight schedule to do that, but it was a pretty good strategy. Uh, I told you she was good. <laughs> Thank you, Senator. Uh, with the day, as I said, we're going to have hearings on uh, nominees for some critically important ambassadors, ambassadors to the Netherlands, Iceland, Slovak Republic, North Macedonia and Namibia. Each one of these positions are critically important to our national security. These are extremely challenging times to be in global diplomacy and to represent the United States. And we appreciate each of you making that decision to help our country and to serve our nation. So first and foremost, I want to thank you for your willingness to step forward uh, in these critically important roles. And secondly, I want to acknowledge your families. I see many sitting behind you today you can't do this without a supportive family, uh, and it is, there, there are certainly a lot of sacrifices that they make. So we, we thank them as well for sharing uh, you with our country and the important work that you're gonna be doing. Uh, let me just talk very briefly about each of you, and then I'll uh, let Senator Haggerty make his opening statements, and then we'll hear it directly from you. Shafali Razdan Dougal is a political activist, a women's rights advocate, and a human rights campaigner. In 2014, President Obama appointed her to the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum Council, uh, which I am also a member of, the, of that council, so thank you very much. Karen Patman, as we heard from Senator Cornyn, is, is the chair of the Metropolitan Transit Authority of Harris County, Texas. Uh, she currently works as a partner in Bracewell LLP and worked as a trial lawyer handling litigation for commercial disputes, antitrust, and competition issues and regulatory compliance. Uh, earlier commitments to public service include her role as a founding board member of the Center for Women in Law and as executive committee members of Girls Inc. and Greater Houston and Sheltering Arms Senior Services. Good on Rana, currently serves as the deputy chief of mission at the U.S. Embassy in Algeria and was the embassy's charge d'affaires from August 2020 to February 2022. Mr. Rana was previously the deputy chief of mission and also charge d'affaires ad interim at the U.S. Embassy in Slovenia. Among other positions, he was director of Afghanistan and Pakistan on the National Security Council staff and the deputy minister council for political affairs at the U.S. Embassy in New Delhi. Ms. Angela Price Aguilar is a career member of the Senior Foreign Service with the rank of Minister Counsel. She served as the Deputy Chief of Mission at the U.S. Embassy in Islamabad, Pakistan, as well as its Charge Affairs. She formerly served as Minister Counsel for Public Affairs at the U.S. Embassy in Paris, Acting Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for the Bureau of South and Central Asian Affairs, and Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Press and Public Diplomacy in the Bureau of Press and Public Diplomacy. She's held other diplomatic posts in Pakistan, North Macedonia, Vietnam, France, and India. And then Randy Berry, uh, to be Ambassador in Namibia. Uh, Mr. Berry served as U.S. Ambassador to Nepal. Prior to that, was Deputy Assistant Secretary in the State's Department of Democracy, Human Rights, and Labor. Before that, the State Department's first Special Envoy for Human Rights of the LGBTI Persons. I understand that Senator uh, Kane will make an introduction for uh, Ms. Dougal, but uh, if I first let me turn it over to the ranking member, and then we'll go to Senator Kane, Senator Haggerty.
2: Thank you, Chairman Cardin, and I want to thank all the nominees for appearing here today. Um, I also appreciate your willingness to serve this great nation. I can't tell you what an honor it is to represent the most exceptional nation in the world to any country, and you have been nominated to do just that. So just being here is quite an accomplishment to have gotten to this point, and I hope that we have a good hearing today to move you along the path. Um, I'd like to start with the nominee to be the U.S. Ambassador to the Netherlands. The United States and the Netherlands share a long history of friendship and coordination that goes back to the American Revolution. I look forward to hearing from the nominee about how we can maintain a strong partnership and work to counter China's malign influence in Europe. Uh, With respect to the nominee to be Ambassador to Iceland, Iceland is a strategically important country, and both President Trump and President Biden have pushed hard for enhanced engagement on Arctic issues in light of concerns about Russia and Chinese activities in the region. I look forward to hearing from the nominee on this subject. Next, I'd like to turn to the nomination to be the ambassador to the Slovak Republic. The U.S. and Slovakia share a commitment to freedom and human rights, and I believe Slovakia's experience can be a model for other emerging democracies. I hope our next ambassador can continue to build our strong diplomatic ties and aid in fulfilling our commitments to this ally. For the nominee to be ambassador to North Macedonia, the U.S. and North Macedonia have good relations and recently held a strategic dialogue to take stock of the bilateral relationship and outline areas for enhanced cooperation. I'm interested to know your thoughts on further areas of cooperation between the U.S. and this Western Balkan country. Last, but certainly not least, I'd like to focus on the nomination to be ambassador to Namibia. The United States and Namibia share a friendly relationship, and I look forward to hearing from the nominee about how we can strengthen the U.S. partnership with Namibia, Namibia in light of their close ties with China. And to all five nominees, again, thank you for serving our nation and for answering the questions of the committee today. I look forward to hearing your testimony. Well, Mr. Senator, Karen, I will back my time.
0: Thank you, Senator Haggerty. Senator Kane for an introduction.
3: Thank you, Mr. Chair, and to Senator Hagerty. It's, it's a real treat to be with the panel and and Karin, so good to see you as well. I, I do want to say just a few words of introduction about my longtime friend uh, Shafali Dougal, and I'm really, really excited that she's been nominated for the ambassador position in Netherlands. Being in politics is tough, the travel is hard, and uh, sometimes you wonder whether the T account does the plus and minus come out on the right side, but w- one of the things that I've certainly enjoyed from 28 years at the local state and now federal level is I've just met wonderful people that I might not have met otherwise, and I put Shafali and her family in that category. Um, in the uh, late uh, early two thousand tens, I met Shafali um, on the west coast and came to know her. She's an immigrant to the United States from Kashmir, India. She's an experienced political activist, women's rights advocate, human rights campaigner with a wonderful family. She is a former presidential appointee to the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum Council where she acquitted herself in a very, very honorable way. She continues to serve as a Western regional advisor for that important American institution. Um, On the West Coast, she's a San Francisco committee member on Human Rights Watch, passionate about human rights issues, member of the Wake Forest University Leadership and Character Council, and she's also served on the National Board of Directors for EMILY's List. Shefali um, has received numerous awards um, from the Holocaust Museum, um, a community hero from the California State Assembly, one of the most powerful women in California by the National Diversity Council. Um, Shafali is just a, the kind of a person who's uh, able to be uh, passionate in, in her pride for this country. She'll be a great ambassador. Um, she's also a great diplomat. She believes there's no challenge in life that a few Ghirardelli chocolate squares will not make go <laughs> no much better. And I think there's some wisdom there that we could all learn from. But uh, I'm gonna stay and ask questions as a member of the, uh, as a member of the committee, but I just wanted to uh, introduce Shefali to my friends on this side of the dais and recommend her highly. Well, Senator Kane, thank you for that
0: just uh, very fine introduction. You now know her a lot better. Uh, we're going to now hear from all of our witnesses. We would ask that you try to summarize your statements in about five minutes. Uh, your entire statement will be made part of the record. So we'll start with Mrs. Dougal.
4: Thank you. Thank you, Senator Kane. That was so lovely. I appreciate it. Chairman Cardin, Ranking Member Haggerty, and distinguished committee members, it is a genuine honor to be with you today. Senator Kane, thank you so very much for the incredibly kind introduction. I am deeply appreciative to President Biden and Secretary Blinken for the nomination and confidence in my ability to serve as ambassador to the Kingdom of the Netherlands. If confirmed, I look forward to enthusiastically representing and serving the American people as a force multiplier for good to advance key US foreign policy priorities. If I may, I would like to also thank my husband of 24 years, Rajith, my precious children, Thadik and Adia, my lifelong friends who have always been a protective shield of love and support, and the most resilient human I know, my mother, Vina Razdan. I would also like to thank the talented team at U.S. Embassy The Hague and Consulate General Amsterdam, who perform vital diplomatic work every day, if confirmed, I look forward to working with all of you closely. As an immigrant, I represent the diverse face of the United States and the generations of people throughout our history who found opportunity in our great country. I was raised by a single mom in Cincinnati who worked two minimum wage jobs to support us. My father left us when I was very young, and that in this profoundly and permanently affected the direction of my life. Rather than dwell upon what I did not have, I embraced the boundless opportunities that we are given here in the United States. I attended college and graduate school with the help of loans, grants, and scholarships. As I faced some of my own challenges of being a minority woman with limited resources, I became attuned to the values of diversity and inclusion that continue to inspire me today. I also focused on the rights of minorities and the critical importance of being a voice of the oppressed. This motivated me to pursue my years of work with Human Rights Watch and to serve as a member of the United States Holocaust Memorial Council. While my life was often not easy, I was always saved by the grace of God and the promise of the United States. I have full confidence that kindness, empathy, honesty, and sweat equity mean something in our country. It is the reason why people from all over the world see us as a beacon of hope and freedom. While my story is not unique, it is one that represents the infinite possibilities of the American spirit and the American dream. The Netherlands was the second country to formally recognize the new American republic, making the US-Dutch connection one of our longest unbroken peaceful friendships. If confirmed, I will work along with a talented mission team to deepen our bilateral relationship and advance the following three priorities. First, deepen bilateral and global security. If confirmed, my highest priority will always be the safety and security of the over 47,000 Americans in the Netherlands, including the 300-plus mission personnel and their families, along with the 1.5 million Americans who annually visit the Netherlands. The Netherlands has been a strong military ally of the United States. I will build on decades of close bilateral and multilateral relationships to face the global security challenges of today and potentially those of the future. Second, deepen our economic ties. The U.S.-Netherlands economic relationship is one of our deepest and most important trade relationships. The Netherlands is one of the largest foreign investors in the United States, and Dutch investment supports over 800,000 American jobs. If confirmed, I will work to deepen our economic ties, promote American business, encourage further Dutch investment in the United States, and promote our shared prosperity. Third promote and defend our shared values of democracy and human rights. Throughout our 240-year friendship, our shared commitment to a rules-based international order forms our enduring foundation, especially in promoting and defending human rights, protecting democratic institutions, and strengthening the rule of law. If confirmed, I look forward to working with the Netherlands to meet ever-evolving new challenges. If confirmed, I will come to this position with humility and commitment. I would serve as the first person of color as a United States ambassador to the Kingdom of the Netherlands. I am a grateful and loyal American who loves this country deeply. I was born in India, but I was made in the United States. It would be an honor to follow in the footsteps of our first ambassadorial envoy, John Adams, I wholeheartedly commit to being available to members of this committee, members of Congress, and staff to work in partnership. Thank you so very much for your time. I look forward to answering your questions.
0: Oh, thank you very much for your, for your comments. Now I'll go to Ms. Patman. Chairman
5: Cardin, is my microphone on? Yes, it is. Thank you. Chairman Carden, Ranking Member Haggerty, and distinguished committee members, it is the deepest honor to appear before you today as the President's nominee for the United States Ambassador to Iceland. I'm honored and profoundly grateful to President Biden and Secretary Blinken for their confidence. And, of course, I'm also deeply appreciative of the support of my home state senators, for Senator Cornyn for his so very gracious introduction, and Senator Cruz as well. I'm joined today by my husband, Jim Derrick, without whose love and support I would not be before you. This nomination is particularly special to me because I grew up in a family of public servants. My dad, Bill Patman, and my grandfather, Wright Patman, served in the United States House for a total of 51 years. So I completely understand that this role will require me to work in partnership with Congress on the issues that I will face. In fact, both my dad and granddad were in the audience when President Roosevelt delivered his Day of Infamy speech. My grandfather as a congressman my dad as a page My maternal grandfather, Fred Moritz, whose parents immigrated from Iceland's fellow Arctic country, Sweden, was a Texas state senator also. And in honor of our Scandinavian heritage, my mother caused the Swedish Excellence Endowment at the University of Texas to be established, for which she received the Royal Order of the Polar Star from the King of Sweden. So being nominated for this public service role and in a country representing my own Nordic heritage is deeply special. It's a critical, as as, as, as Senators Cardin and Haggerty have uh, noted, it's a critical time to serve in this role and in Iceland, the Arctic. Iceland has long been our highly valued ally, a strong democracy whose bedrock values mirror our own, a founding member of NATO, a 70-year security partner, a fellow Arctic nation, and a country of enormous strategic importance as we all face threats from other <coughs> powers. I've been blessed with opportunities that have prepared me to be a chief of mission and build consensus among diverse stakeholders. And I won't uh, repeat those from my statement here because Senator Cornyn kindly set those forth in his introduction. but. If confirmed, the following are top priorities I would seek to advance. First, of course, to protect the safety and security of U.S. citizens in Iceland, including those under chief of mission authority, embassy personnel and their families, and U.S. tourists. More more tourists visit Iceland from the United States than from any other country. And I look forward to welcoming all of you on CODELS, I hope. Second, to advance our shared security interests, Iceland's key location between North America and Europe and at the center of two critical maritime passageways is even more important as melting Arctic ice increases maritime traffic. Russia and the People's Republic of China fully understand the economic and military importance of Iceland. And if confirmed, I will seek to deepen our security cooperation and support Iceland in managing these challenges. Ranking Member Haggerty had specifically uh, discussed China, and yes, they in fact are increasing their presence in the Arctic, and I look forward to further discussions, discussing it in Iceland as well, um, if, if uh, you want to question me about it. Third, if confirmed, I would seek to strengthen our economic relationship. The United States is already Iceland's most important single-country trading partner with great opportunities for additional trade and investment. I would work with Iceland with respect to its vital role in sustaining our planet and as a world leader in renewable energy and a pioneer in carbon storage. Fifth. We're both members of the Arctic Council. So I would look forward to working with Iceland on Arctic issues. And additionally, of course, I would prioritize people-to-people ties through exchange programs, robust public diplomacy efforts, and one-on-one contact with me and my husband, Jim. Um, I'm blessed that it is a country relatively small in population. So I hope to get to meet a lot of people in Iceland. It would be the privilege and honor of a lifetime to serve as the United States Ambassador to Iceland. Thank you for your time and consideration, and I look forward to your questions.
0: Uh, thank you very much uh, for your comments. We'll now hear from Ms. Aguilar.
6: Chairman Carden, Ranking Member Haggerty, and distinguished members of the committee. It is the honor of my Foreign Service career to appear before you today as President Biden's nominee to be the next U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of North Macedonia. I am humbled by and grateful for the trust President Biden and Secretary Blinken have placed in me to represent the United States in Skopje. I hope to also earn your trust, and if confirmed, would work closely with you to advance U.S. foreign policy priorities in North Macedonia. I would like to use this opportunity to recognize my husband, Brian, also a career member of the Senior Foreign Service and the Deputy Chief of Mission of our Embassy in Paris. I would not be here today were it not for his continuous support. I would also like to thank my daughter, Madeline, who has come from Austin, Texas, to have my back today, as always. I began my foreign service career in 1998 and have served in Pakistan, Vietnam, France, and India. I am also no stranger to North Macedonia. I served as counselor for public affairs in Skopje, where I focused on educating and empowering youth and minority communities, good governance, and building a stronger economy and more tolerant society. I would be deeply honored to return to Skopje to serve as the U.S. ambassador and to advance our priorities with this important strategic partner. NATO's newest ally, North Macedonia will also assume the chairmanship of OSCE in 2023. We must continue to work closely with North Macedonia in responding to the threats posed to our security and the international order most immediately Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. The urgency of this moment underscores the importance of deeper political, economic, cultural, security cooperation and people-to-people ties with North Macedonia and other Western Balkan countries as they work to realize their strategic goals of European integration. The United States has supported North Macedonia's long-standing goal of EU accession. We stand firmly behind the EU enlargement process because it has advanced democratic development and promoted peace, stability and prosperity on the European continent, building stronger strategic partners for the United States. North Macedonia has overcome difficult challenges and made tough choices, to take historic steps forward on its accession path. If confirmed, I will build on these successes to secure that path forward. The United States and North Macedonia have many shared priorities, including fighting corruption, improving the rule of law, and strengthening good governance. If confirmed, I will encourage judicial reforms and urge the institutions of North Macedonia to promote transparency, Investigate allegations of abuse, and decisively counter corruption to bolster public confidence in governance. I will work with interagency partners to help North Macedonia develop a national strategy that effectively holds corrupt actors accountable. If confirmed, I will work to support North Macedonia's economic future through policies to bolster its investment climate, strengthen infrastructure, improve energy diversity and security, and build resistance to malign external influence, including from Russia and China. I will work to advance the country's integration into regional economic growth initiatives based on EU standards, such as Open Balkan and Common Regional Market. I will support American companies exploring opportunities in North Macedonia. North Macedonia needs to diversify energy sources and routes and develop competitive, transparent and efficient energy markets. If confirmed, I will champion the country's transition from coal towards cleaner alternatives and create the market conditions that attract American investment that will spur North Macedonia to become a regional energy hub. Finally. If confirmed, I will build on the positive momentum of June's bilateral strategic dialogue, which you mentioned, Senator Hagerty, which touched on a range of issues, including deepening military-to-military cooperation. It would be an honor to lead our Embassy Skopje team and work with the government, citizens, and our international partners on these priorities. Thank you again for the opportunity to appear before you and I welcome your questions.
0: And thank you for your testimony.
7: Mr. Reyna. Chairman Cardin, Ranking Member Haggerty, Senator Kane, thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today. I am honored to be President Biden's nominee for the position of Ambassador to the Slovak Republic. I am grateful for the trust and confidence the President and Secretary Blinken have placed in me. If confirmed, I pledge to work with you to advance our nation's interest in the Slovak Republic. I first want to thank my wife, Alexa Alonzo and my sons, Rohan and Arjun. Alexa and Rohan are here with me today, and my younger son, Arjun, is watching from home with my wonderful sister-in-law, Alicia Alonso. I'm so proud of them all, and I'm here before you today because of their love, sacrifice, and support. As part of a diplomatic family that moves every few years, I want to thank them for their own service to our country. My family and I are the embodiment of the American dream, thanks to the courage, vision, and sacrifice of my parents, Amrit and Nirmal Arana. When I was only a year old, my father departed his native India and arrived at JFK Airport with $20 in his pocket. For three years, he worked a succession of minimum minimum wage jobs before his wife and three children joined him in New Jersey. My mother and father made tremendous sacrifices for me, my sisters, and their extended family, believing in their hearts that America truly was the land of opportunity and that their hard work would be rewarded. They stressed to my sisters and me the importance of education and how it could liberate us to pursue our dreams. Thanks to my parents' sacrifices and hard work and my own journey as an immigrant, I am deeply conscious of how privileged I am to be an American citizen and I am honored to have served and represented my country as a diplomat for the last 20 years. As a person with a disability, I am also immensely grateful for the opportunities and freedom I have had as an American. I contracted polio as a child in, in India and need to use a leg brace and forearm crutches to walk. Between my time in the Peace Corps and Foreign Service, I have lived and worked in eight foreign countries on four continents. Though we still have much to do in the United States to ensure all disabled people can live full and dignified lives, I believe from my own lived experience that we are doing much better than many other countries. I sit before you today as an ambassador nominee only because my parents had the wisdom and foresight to come to the United States. As foreign service officer, I have advanced US interests all over the globe, including in Europe. Next year marks the 30th anniversary of Slovakia's independence And if confirmed, I hope to continue strengthening our already close relationship with the Slovak Republic. If confirmed, I will have no greater priority than the protection of my embassy team and our citizens, from ensuring the safety of individual American travelers to bolstering homeland security through bilateral law enforcement cooperation. If confirmed, I will focus the embassy on three priorities. First, Supporting Slovakia's capacity to become a more active and capable partner in strengthening regional and global security and stability. (coughs) I will also prioritize supporting Slovakia as it stands with Ukraine against Russia's aggression. Slovakia has already provided more than 159 million euros in humanitarian and military aid to Ukraine, including donating an S-300 air defense system at a crucial time. Slovakia remains one of the largest donors to Ukraine, as measured uh, measured by aid as a share of GDP. And since 2014, Slovakia has provided a critical link for Ukraine to import natural gas from Europe. Second, if confirmed, I will also focus on strengthening bilateral trade and investment, including by increasing opportunities for U.S. companies in the Slovak market and for Slovak companies that want to invest in the United States. I will promote US exports, fight for transparency and the rule of law as Slovakia improves its business environment and press for greater energy diversity and efficiency that will enhance Slovak and European energy security while advancing their climate change goals. Third, if confirmed, as you noted, Senator Haggerty, I will also focus on reinforcing Slovakia's commitment to the West and on actively engaging the Slovak public to build support for our shared commitment to democracy and human rights. This includes working with our Slovak partners in addressing disinformation. As demonstrated by the First Lady's visit to Slovakia in May, the United States continues to, our deepen, continues to deepen our partnership with the Slovak Republic. If confirmed, it would be the honor of my life to lead our outstanding team in Bratislava to advance our country's interests there and across the region. Ms. Mr. Chair, Ranking Member, Senator Kane, thank you again for the opportunity to appear before you today. I welcome your questions. And
0: thank you for your testimony. We'll now
8: hear from Ambassador Barry. Chairman Cardin, Ranking Member Haggerty, and members of the committee, <clears throat> I'm deeply honored to appear before you uh, this afternoon as President Biden's nominee to be the next U.S. ambassador to the Republic of Namibia. I-, I thank President Biden and Secretary Blinken for their confidence and trust in this nomination. And if confirmed, I look forward to continuing my nearly 30 years of service. Uh, to the United States government, uh, this time to advance our relationship with the Namibian government and the Namibian people. I'm a proud sixth generation son of the soil of the great state of Colorado. My foreign service career uh, has taken me from my childhood on horseback on my family run uh, cattle ranch in the shadow of the Rockies to my current office in Kathmandu in the shadow of the Himalaya, where I'm now concluding my uh, four-year tenure as ambassador soon. I've had the great opportunity, however, to live and work on the African continent for nearly a decade uh, over my career advancing U.S. interests and relationships there. As you uh, are aware and mentioned, uh, Senator Cardin, uh, the Foreign Service life uh, demands a full buy-in from our families and those who love us. And I want to acknowledge the enduring love and support of my own family in this career and and really in all things. Uh, My husband, Pravesh Singh, who's seated behind me, and uh, my children Arya and Xander who are also joining us today. For the past 30 years, Namibia has been a stable democratic country and a model of U.S.-Africa partnership. It has continued to build strong institutions and an independent judiciary, and typically ranks right at the top in Africa for press freedom. uh, Namibia's government and citizens share many of the United States' priorities, including strengthening democratic institutions, increasing free trade and investment to grow an inclusive economy, promoting human rights, and addressing global threats such as climate change. And if confirmed, I look forward to leading our dynamic team in Windhoek to deepen our partnership and further our common interests and values. I'd like to share with you the priorities that if confirmed, I would work hard every day to advance as US ambassador. First and foremost, the welfare of US mission colleagues and American citizens is my paramount priority. And I will work every day to ensure that our people are serving in a workplace that is healthy, is inclusive, and is marked by respect. I am excited also for the chance to move uh, our our team into a new chancery next year uh, that will provide a better physical work environment for all. Also, relationships of trust are a key part of diplomacy, I believe, both inside and outside the walls of an embassy and I will invest heavily in building up relationships based on respect that produce results for our goals. My mission team and I will support Namibia as it builds on its tradition of good governance. Anti-corruption messaging and assistance to fortify Namibia's democracy is a priority both for their government and for ours. Through advocacy and partnerships, we will encourage Namibia to fully implement laws and policies that respect human rights. Namibia also faces threats to its abundant natural resources, which are, like our own, vulnerable. In this case, to exploitation by transnational criminal organizations and foreign powers due to insufficient social and legal protections. We will partner with Namibia to minimize opportunities for corruption and nature crimes and ensure that Namibia's ambitions to become a regional transport hub via the Walvis Bay port include strong safeguards against illicit activity. Both the United States and Namibia seek increased bilateral trade and investment. The U.S.-Namibia commercial relationship is a growing one, and recent successes show that fostering increased trade and investment through mechanisms like the African Growth and Opportunity Act, Prosper Africa, Power Africa, and other infrastructure and economic initiatives are critical components of our efforts to accelerate economic development in Namibia. If confirmed, I will facilitate commercial relationships and call for a pro-business and pro-innovation policy for U.S. and Namibian businesses and accelerate uh, equitable and inclusive development. Creating opportunities for planning and security partnerships will allow us to advance our priorities as Namibia grows in strategic importance as an anchor for activity in the South Atlantic Ocean. And finally, if confirmed, I will focus on our continued investment in people. Once facing one of the world's highest HIV-AIDS prevalence rates, Namibia became a flagship country through the U.S. President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, or PEPFAR, and it is now one of the few highly affected countries in the world that is nearing epidemic control of HIV and AIDS. Our investment of over a billion U.S. dollars through PEPFAR in Namibia since 2004 has saved lives of thousands and have been a force multiplier for our bilateral relationship fostering cooperation in many areas in addition to health. And the next chapter in our partnership with Namibia must ensure a resilient, well-equipped, and civically engaged population, especially among Namibia's youth. If if confirmed, I will use our resources to empower current and future generations to partner with us to respond to global threats and opportunities, and to adapt to longer-term economic, social, and environmental challenges. Mr. Chairman, members of the committee, I thank you and I look forward to your questions.
0: And we thank all of you for your your, uh, comments and your observations. We appreciate that very much. This committee uh, has a tradition of asking all nominees uh, questions about their availability. Some of you have already answered this in your presentations. You must have anticipated these questions were going to be asked. That's good staff work. But I'm going to ask each of you to answer yes or no individually. On the four questions that are asked about responsiveness to our committee. Do you agree to appear before this committee and make officials from your office available to the committee and designated staff when invited?
6: Yes. yes. I do. Yes.
0: Yes. Do you commit to keep this committee fully and currently informed about the activities under your purview? Yes.
6: Yes. Yes.
7: Yes.
0: yes. I do. Do you commit to engaging in meaningful consultation with policies are being developed, not just providing notification after the fact? Yes. yes.
5: Yes. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. Do you commit to promptly responding to requests for briefings and information requested by the committee and its designated staff? Yes.
5: Yes. yes. I do.
0: Yes. Yes. You all passed. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, as, as I think it has been observed, the five countries that you have been nominated to be our representatives are all democratic states. So we are dealing with countries that are natural allies of the United States, but they have certain challenges. There's a couple uh, common concerns that we have. One is the dependency on Russian oil, which is today a very important consideration. As we know, Russia has weaponized the use of energy and these countries remain very dependent upon Russian energy sources it makes it more challenging for us to have the type of leverage to keep unity in our support for Ukraine in the Slovak Republic I understand 100 percent of their oil is imported and 85 percent of their natural gas Uh, we know in North Macedonia it's, it's a large percentage in the Netherlands so let me start first with Mr. Moreno How would you uh, go about uh, urging the importance of removing that dependency from the point of view of the national security, not only of of the Slovak Republic, but also of our allies in Europe?
7: Thank you very much for that question, uh, Senator Cardin. Uh, You are absolutely right. 100% uh, of uh, Slovakia's oil and nuclear energy, or the fuel, is derived from Russia and 85% of its natural gas. Uh, the most important thing that uh, I would do if confirmed as, president, as, <laughs> president, as uh, ambassador would be to encourage Slovakia to integrate within uh, the European Union's own internal energy market and diversify fuel types, supply source countries, and delivery routes. What do we mean by that? Uh, one, uh, with, the Russia, uh, with the nuclear fuel, try to find new suppliers. Right now, they're completely dependent on the Russians. With natural gas, uh, Slovakia has already built uh, interconnectors with all of its neighbors. Uh, they've contracted with the Norwegians to supply natural gas. They've also uh, brought in uh, LNG, including from U.S. suppliers. So these are the types of activities that we would continue to encourage uh, Slovakia and, frankly, all of the European allies to continue doing. Thank
3: you. Thank you.
0: Mrs. Ackler, um, there's a, common, a similar problem in North Macedonia, not quite as great. And as you point out, North Macedonia is taking on a leadership within the OSCE, which we're very pleased to see, but it also gives us a chance for whoever assumes leadership in that organization to demonstrate by action their commitment to the Helsinki principles. Uh, In North Macedonia, the energy issue was one, but also they've had some challenges in the rule of law and building that capacity. Uh, Tell me how you could utilize our position in that country through our mission, particularly as North Macedonia ascends in the OSCE?
6: Thank you so much for the question, uh, Chairman Cardin. And they're both critically important right now. Particularly as we look at the fact that just 12 days ago the Parliament of North Macedonia passed the required required motions to begin its EU accession to accept the French proposals for that accession, and as we look to, to this country and to Albania moving forward in the EU. Uh, First of all, you're absolutely right about the energy crisis. North Macedonia is on the verge of declaring an energy crisis as of August because of their dependence largely on Russian gas. Uh, We have already seen efforts through our through our mission in Greece, for example, on a Greece-North Macedonia interconnector, uh, LNG, that would not only benefit North Macedonia, but also many of its neighbors. And there are a number of initiatives on clean energy that would assist them to move away from the dependency on Russia. But your point also about not only OSCE OSCE leadership, um, but also their EU accession aspirations, are critically important and, I believe, offer us an opportunity. And if confirmed, I will do everything in my power, Senator, to help them make so many of the reforms in rule of law, for example, that will assist that country in overall governance, which they so desperately need. I was very pleased to read today that uh, the embassy in Skopje announced $4.3 million in uh, additional funding for rule of law programs across North Macedonia that were a direct result of the strategic dialogue that we had in June. So those reforms, those necessary reforms, I would do everything I could to support them. Thank Thank you. you.
0: Um, Ms. Dugal, let me complete the the issue in regards to Russian dependency. Uh, There there is a a similar problem uh, uh, in regards to Netherlands. Uh, Tell us how you would address that as our ambassador.
4: Thank you for the question, Chairman Cardin. That's absolutely such a critical thought, and Russia does use energy as a weapon to attempt to weaken Europe. The Netherlands is, in fact, less dependent on Russian energy than other European countries, and the Netherlands does hope to cut Russian oil and fossil fuels by the end of the year and aims to halt coal imports by August 11th and expand wind and solar. The steps they have already taken in the Netherlands, if I could list a few, the EU has reached a plan actually just very recently to cut natural gas by 15% between now and spring of 2023. They're also using coal-fired stations to operate at 35% maximum capacity. And there is an emergency option that in the Netherlands to uh, tap into the Groningen uh, gas field, which is the largest in Europe, and reopen if needed. And if confirmed, I would be helpful in that conversation.
0: And and we're going to follow up on all these issues. Uh, One of the areas, and particularly as a senator from Maryland, we we have an uh, LNG export facility located in our state. We know that American LNG is part of the solution of Europe to remove their dependency on Russian energy sources, particularly natural gas. So uh, these are all areas that are going to have to be put into fast gear, uh, because some of these issues take a while to implement, and it could be a very cold winter in Europe this year. Senator Hagerty?
2: Thank you, Chairman Cardin, and I I want to stay with you, um, Mr. Gall, just to continue uh, my concerns of what's happening in the Netherlands. The Netherlands has proven to be a significant swing vote in our technological competition with the Chinese Communist Party and with China. There's a touch tool company there called AMSL. Are you familiar with it? Yes. Uh, AMSL produces a special tool known as an extreme ultraviolet lithography system. It basically cuts the thinnest lines in the world on silicon wafers. Mm -hmm. This is a tool. These tools, I think they cost $150 million a copy Communist China would love to get their hands on these tools. Huawei would like to decrease its dependence on other, other countries because they would like to have this capability uh, internalized in China. Thankfully, AMSL has worked with us and the government of the Netherlands has worked with us and Communist China has not received a single one of these machines. And that's because the government of the Netherlands has withheld export, li- export licenses for this to China. Um, the Trump administration began this sort of coordination between the United States and, and the Netherlands to, to, to persuade them on national security grounds not to grant such an export license. And the Biden administration has continued this policy, which I am very pleased to see. Uh, and I would like to know, if, if confirmed, Mr. Gall, um, would you commit to fully support our efforts to encourage in the Netherlands and other key countries for that matter to adopt export controls on national security grounds that will prevent Chinese companies from obtaining and acquiring acquiring such critical tools and technologies?
4: Thank you for the question, sir. Um, Yes, I actually am aware of what in the Trump administration, uh, the efforts that were made and that were successful, and I also am aware that in July of this year, there's been lobbying for the, um, the the older DUV systems, and if confirmed, yes, I do commit to that, sir.
2: I think it's going to be absolutely critical to take every step that we can because the predatory posture of China is becoming more and more evident to everyone around the globe. Okay. But our technology competition is absolutely vital, and if you have the opportunity to, to be confirmed, um, I think your recognition of the national security threat that communist China poses and the fact that you'll be representing us to a nation that could, could play a critical role in denying communist China with that capability I think would be vitally important. Um, If I could turn my next question uh, to Ms. Patman. Um, As you know, Iceland has no armed forces and it depends on the United States and NATO for its defense. Um, I'm very concerned about Russia's increased naval presence in the North Atlantic Mm -hmm. and I'm concerned about the frequency of their naval patrols. There are levels that we've not seen since the Cold War. In 2016, the United States and Iceland agreed on a new joint defense declaration. It was aimed at bolstering security cooperation and the United States has been upgrading its facilities at Iceland's Keflavik military base. Although Iceland's government has been cooperating with US authorities and activities at Keflavik, some Icelandic officials and parliamentarians are cautious about our increased presence there. So if confirmed, how would you work to strengthen the defense relationship between the United States and Iceland
5: Thank you so much for the question, Senator. I would work at the highest levels of the Icelandic government to continue that cooperation and make sure that Iceland understood how valued they are and have been for over 70 years as a strategic partner. As I'm sure you know, their location is so pivotal that in World War II, we had a base there with troops, which we ultimately, thinking that the Cold War was over, prematurely as it turns out, Um, withdrew in 2006, but subsequent to that time, Keflavik, as you're obviously aware, has served as a really critical military base for surveillance. And in fact, um, on either side of Iceland are the two maritime passages, collectively known as the Greenland-Iceland-UK gap, that are essential to be used for NATO surveillance of Russian submarines before they drop off into the North Atlantic and become untraceable. So um, I'm very aware of the aggressions of Russia in that region, of their uh, recognition, not only that the Arctic is of critical importance to them economically, given their oil fields and other interests, but they, along with China, are hoping to open up the northern sea route and shorten shipping times, and the northern sea route uh, goes directly through the Greenland-Iceland-U.K. gap, which makes that surveillance so important and makes allied control of that location so very important. So um, I, too, have been... Have, have become extremely aware of all the different Russian aggressions, military and economic, involving Iceland, and I do work, I do commit to work very faithfully with the Icelandic government to manage those aggressions and make sure they do not jeopardize either Icelandic or American security.
2: Thank, thank you for that response. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
0: Mr. Barry, I want to talk a little bit about Libya. It's um, a bright spot on the African continent. So let me start by acknowledging that. They're ranked 58 out of 180 in the ranking on the 2021 Corruption Index, uh, which is the sixth best score in Africa. But as I assume you are aware, they recently had a major scandal in their fishing quotas, uh, dubbed the fish rot, in which government officials were engaged in corruption. We recognize that corruption is one of the major ways in which democratic states become very vulnerable. So, how can you use the resources of our mission to help strengthen their commitment for anti-corruption activities? within their country?
8: Uh, thank you, uh, Senator Cardin, for that question. Uh, I think there's no doubt that corrupt practices, particularly when they involve government uh, officials who are betraying the, the, the trust of the people, uh, uh, poses one of the greatest threats uh, to, to democracy. Uh, and I think the fish rot scandal obviously has laid bare uh, some of the vulnerabilities that uh, Namibia's young democracy faces here. I think there are a couple of things uh, that I would point to as, uh, as encouraging uh, signs there. First of all, the, the corruption was largely uncovered uh, through a free and independent media. Second of all, uh, the government took uh, positive action in sacking those who were responsible or accru- accused uh, through that uh, process and uh, have moved them to trial. I think that uh, as the United States government, uh, we have a a grave uh, and and solemn commitment to help support them in those efforts. I think through training, uh, uh, through our our regional uh, regional hub uh, uh, for uh, the International Law Enforcement Academy, through other uh, types of assistance to help ensure that uh, sunshine and daylight, uh, transparency and accountability uh, is really uh, the coin of the realm. Uh, I think that by emphasizing uh, in personal relationships and engagements, but through our programmatic uh, involvement as well, uh, emphasizing that which binds us most closely, closely these elements of a democratic society, uh, will be the best uh, guarantee that we have uh, in, in helping them combat this uh, this scourge.
3: Uh,
0: thank you for that answer. Um,
8: Ms. Ms. Patton, Ms. Pat, I want to
0: follow up on the issue of Arctic security because I really do think Senator Hagerty's point is one that's of critical importance. Russia is anything but predictable, other than we know that they want to bring down democratic states and they want to expand their influence. That we know. The Arctic is an area of major interest for Russia, and Iceland depends upon NATO. They do not have a capacity themselves, at least the uh, armed, armed forces. They do have some capacity on the, on the coast, So how do you sort of help develop the strategies, recognizing Russia's brazen aggression now, that nothing's off the table? Uh, How do we strengthen that alliance so that we have a greater Arctic defense than we currently have, recognizing that Russia feels rather emboldened in that area? Thank
5: you for the question. I certainly am ready to meet that challenge, if confirmed as ambassador to Iceland. Iceland, as we talked earlier, does play a critical geostrategic role. And the whole uh, attitude toward Russia, in my understanding in Iceland, has completely changed in light of the aggression in Ukraine. They have recognized, I think the foreign minister spoke at the Wilson Institute here in Washington recently and talked about how it has changed everything. They're absolutely on red alert about the threat Russia poses, and they're ready to engage in all measures necessary to thwart that kind of aggression. Not only have they been totally supportive of the sanctions, giving humanitarian aid, accepting refugees, and a number of other ways to help in Ukraine, they also recognize and have actually acknowledged uh, the possible need for an enhanced security presence with respect to NATO security. Now, I will say that Iceland plays above its weight. Um, Iceland really does, contribute to NATO in many incredibly valuable ways. The Icelandic Coast Guard operates the Keflavik Air Base. We have a number of installations in Iceland, including a radio transmitter facility at Grindavik that uh, the United States has there, and there are military exercises in the Arctic to ensure interoperability should there be a problem there. Just to name a few examples of how Iceland does contribute handsomely to NATO. So I would say that yes, it is true that under their security agreement with the United States and under their agreement with NATO, we are responsible for their security, but they also contribute to ours as well. Um, And I always like to to recognize that.
0: Thank you. Senator Hagerty?
2: If I might just add uh, one more question. This is from Mr. Berry. Um, And again, a concern about China's predatory presence in Africa, broadly speaking. Uh, They have aggressively used their debt diplomacy to move into Africa, and I'm very concerned about the posture they're adopting with regard to lithium. And China is on track, if if, if nothing's done about it, to control 75% of the world's lithium supply in just a few more years, by 2030. Um, In Namibia, all the active uranium mines are majority Chinese-owned. And China has invested 4.7 billion in a uranium mining project. It's one of the largest investments that China has in Africa. So I'd love to hear what your perspective is on the Chinese Communist Party's activities in Namibia and what you would foresee as your, if you're confirmed, and what you would foresee as your response to that.
8: Uh, thank you, Senator, for that question. Uh, you know, for the last uh, four years, I have been leading a team uh, uh, in a. In a country that shares a border with China, so i've become acutely familiar with many of the Chinese predatory policies, its use of disinformation, for example, to target uh, other relationships uh, through the the um, uh, you know the, the, the predatory uh, lending that I think has troubled so many states uh, around the world. I think what I have learned from that is that uh, the best uh, anne- uh, the best uh, uh, vaccination against uh, those kinds of uh, predatory or unhelpful interventions in any country, Namibia included, is for uh, for full transparency uh, and full visibility on uh, arrangements around uh, around deals uh, on the extractive industries on any kind of investment. I think that that we lean very heavily into our shared uh, role as democracies around the world. I believe that if confirmed, uh, what the United States can bring into looking at investment in the extractive industries or bringing greater uh, scrutiny and ba- uh, greater uh, uh, clarity on the arrangements of those uh, th- those deals uh, really uh, is at the core of, of what we uh, what we can do there. Um, I believe that. Uh, you know that that in 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 a, in Nepal we have uh seen uh the uh, Chinese government really attack u s programming uh by the deployment of of misinformation mm-hmm. and uh if confirmed uh I will work every day to promote private sector engagement to provide greater uh clarity on 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 these deals and to engage in the common sense and uh i think extremely useful uh, uh, uh engagement of, of building up relationships. Uh, I think that, uh, that, that an investment of, of our time, our energy, our focus, uh, and uh, working on the fundamentals of the in extractive industries there will give us some new insight on how we can, uh, can compete. It is uh, obviously a great concern to me
2: to be clear, Ambassador, you would be supportive then of the u s private sector involvement in the extractive industries there in Namibia a-
8: absolutely, Senator. I think you know whether you look at um, Namibia's uh, potential in uh, developing its green power sources, the rare earth minerals, the lithium uranium that you mentioned, or even uh, uh, put to develop the, uh, the, the the potential of petroleum discoveries. I'd uh, rather see American companies uh, develop those resources because I think that we can do it better. I think the technology supports it and I think we can do it in a way that is environmentally sensitive uh, uh, which is also a, a high priority uh, for the Namibian government. Yeah. Thank you.
0: And I would just urge you in the extractive industries to recognize that it is utilized too often for corruption. So. The, Uh, And I've been to Nibia and I think they are committed to uh, an honest system, but the more transparency that we have in the process, the stronger that's going to be as these relationships are developed.
8: Thank you, Senator, I agree.
0: The uh, committee record will remain open until close of business on Friday, July the 29th for members of the committee that may ask questions for the record. We would urge you all to try to answer those questions as promptly and as completely as possible, because until that process is completed, the committee cannot schedule the next step in the confirmation process. So we would ask that you cooperate with the committee. And again, we thank you very much for your willingness uh, to put up with this process and to serve our nation. And with that, the committee stands adjourned.
5: Thank you.